So I'm going to be coming from Mark chapter 8 this morning, um, verses 31 and then 34 through 37. But before I get there, I'm just going to speak a little bit about who I am. I'm, I'm blessed to be a full-time youth minister. Anybody in here want to be a youth minister when you grow up? I wouldn't raise my hand either when I was young, but I thank God for it. I mean, who, won't, who wouldn't want to be a youth minister? I just spent a week at camp. Richard Hilton just um, told us about that. And what it's called a centrifuge. Does your church um, do centrifuge? Anyone in here ever been to centrifuge? Um, amazing for the kids. Amazing for the adults. But it is the most tiring week. You sleep on an uncomfortable bed and um, on a college dorm. And I have been in places where there were 17 of us in one room with three toilets and, and three showers. So you're wore out by the end of the week. You have very little sleep from 11.30 at night until um, 6.30 next morning. That's all the rest that you get. But for the rest of the day, you're all theirs. You're all, you're all your kids. You're all God's. And he's using you throughout the day. And it's extremely loud. Anybody like loud places? There's concert screaming. The music's booming. I mean, in worship, we're just up and down. We're jumping up and down. And I mean, I'm almost 40, so... My youth is a few years behind me, and I can't keep up quite as good as I used to could. But, um, and all of that, all the loud music, all the screaming, all the kids just having the time of their life, um, not only in worship, but as you're out and wherever you are, kids are just excited. But at 6 o'clock Thursday morning, after we haven't had any sleep, uh, mind you, I hear an alarm go off, and it was not my alarm clock because I didn't sit it for 6 o'clock that morning. I have 6.15, 6.30. It's a fire alarm at Liberty University. We have 1,500 kids there. We have most of them in one building. There's a fire alarm going off at 6 o'clock in the morning. My roommate thought it was my alarm, too. He's a 70-year-old man, so I applaud him this morning for keeping up for a week. But um, we had the alarm going off, and I'm thinking, like, how can I shut this thing off? I put the pillows up to my ear, but then I realized, I better get out of this building. It might really be a fire. And, I mean, I need to make sure that my kids are okay, so we all have to get down these stairs. We finally get out to find out it's just a malfunction of Liberty. So they, they woke us up early for no reason, and that's the night that we had Mega Relay, and if you've ever been, Mega's like the big thing, and it was at 10 o'clock at night, and at 10 o'clock at night, I'm usually in the bed with my wife, and this is my wife, Danielle. Danielle, stand up for him. God bless me. I'm a lucky man. <laughs> she won't stand too much and won't want to be recognized, but I'm a lucky man to have a, a woman who loves Jesus and also loves me. I can't believe it, but um, it's loud, uncomfortable. I mean, I, I walked forever. And a day this week, and I may go a little geek here, um, for those youth, um, I may seem like a geek by saying this, but it was the best week ever. The best week ever that I, that I have. Next to Christmas, I look forward to Centrifuge every year. Um, so we, this year we did Infuge and Centrifuge, so we had a combination of both of our kids, some of our kids doing Centrifuge, which is a full day of fun in the sun and playing and but also um, evangelistic type things within the, the college, but they make everything um, upbeat and fun versus Mission Fuge, which is a full day of work. So kids in here, how many of you would choose Centrifuge? How many, refuse to, how many would choose to work for a week? I mean, you actually pay somebody for you to go work for them. But um, yeah, that's what a mission is. So prior to us going there, I met with our parents and I met with our kids I sat down with them, and I looked at them in, in the I used to do world changers, but um, I found that these generations, I don't know if you guys see the, the new generations or not, but they're not quite as 
smart. They're a little more lazy. Anybody been seeing, picking up on that lately? <laughs> they, they just don't want to work. And the last group I did, the World Changers, they didn't want to work. And, and you're always a group that has somebody who doesn't want to work and they're, and they're complaining or they're sitting down or they're on their phone, then it's embarrassing, right? So I sat down and I spoke to our kids and our parents and I looked them in their eyes and I said, listen, you all need to be really honest with me. If you're not going to work and you know you are a lazy person, sign up for Centrifuge. But if you're just excited to work for Jesus, you sign up for, for Infuge with me. And this is just for high school kids. They had the, the um, option of choosing these things because I wanted my younger kids to enjoy camp for a week because they had never been. But um, I found out two truths. The first truth is I have a, one of the most honest youth groups that I've ever had. They're, they're very honest because at the end of the night, guess which, guess which sheet was filled up? Centrifuge. My niece is 15, and she's one of them. She looked at me and said, John, I'm lazy. I can't work. And, and apparently the second thing is the parents don't mind that their children are lazy. So that's what I just came through this week, but I enjoyed it. And I know I'm moving on, and I'm going to get into the scriptures here in just a moment, but the joy of being a youth. Anybody remember just the joy of being a youth? You remember running for no reason because it was actually fun? And I may look like I'm in shape, but really I'm not in shape. I just have diabetes, so it makes me really skinny, and I can't really gain weight. So I'm really out of shape. So I, I don't run anywhere. My wife, she started running. I don't know how it happened, but it did. I don't like to run. There were little responsibilities, right? Little responsibilities as a youth. Um, the youthful years were just the time of our life. That's when life was living. And those of you who are in your youthful life, you're living some of the best years of your life, which I will say. I, I'm enjoying, I'll soon be in my 40s. I'll be enjoying my 40s. I enjoyed my 30s, but I think I'll enjoy my 40s as well. Do we have any youth workers in here with us today? Youth workers, would you stand up with me? I'm going to make you all a little uncomfortable because I don't want to be the only one in the room. I, I want to connect with these people. Um, I won't make you all too uncomfortable. I won't do what I originally planned. Church, I want you to look at these people that are working with your youth. In most churches, they are underappreciated. They're the ones who get fussed out because something happened in the gym and it was broken. Or um, if they need tables moved in the church, they're the ones you go to and you say, make them put up the chairs. Your youth are being bad. And they're like, you need to go. And you're like, but their parents are here. Go to the, it's the church's youth. So church, what I want you to do right now, just lose it for these two right quick. Just give me a, not just a clap. I want you to cheer for these guys. Cheer for them. Uplift these guys. Y'all can have a seat now. But being a youth, man, we, we, we could eat what we wanted, and we didn't have to worry about it running up some kind of blood level, right? Either wise, cholesterol, high blood, or um, diabetes, whatever you may get sober from. We didn't worry about putting on weight. That stuff didn't matter. Youth, we lived in our youth. Now I know everybody's youth isn't the same, and some people do experience tragic things in their youth. But for the most part, our youthful years are supposed to be some of the best years of our life. But let's transfer all the way to the 21st century to what your youth are facing today. They're facing things in youth in the, the room. I can connect with you. I can relate with you because I see my youth that I'm around all the time. Thank God he put me in that position. My wife has infertility. Um, we've, we've prayed. We saw God and he just hadn't given us children yet, but she's a, a PA over at Lumberton Children's Clinic, so she gets to hang out with babies all day. I get to hang out with you, so I see what youth are really, really facing, and the battles that they face is on a whole new level. Yes, there's still temptations, but man, it's, it comes in like droves and it's, it's like ginormous Goliath type stuff that they're facing because face it or not technology is great but the smarter that the phones and the computers become 
the less real life these kids are being able to live because their, their life is being lived on a screen. Um, they're, they're in a constant, they're, they're constantly in front of an audience and being judged. And, and I mean, they, they're Snapchatting all the time. They're, they're texting really fast. Um, their whole life is right there in a little, little screen. Youth, I want to tell you something. Life is about a lot more than status updates. It's about a lot more than streaks. It's a lot more than being dated or rated. And, and I never heard of this rated stuff. Kids were actually throwing themselves out there like rate me. And then rate, R-A-T-E. And they get like a number one to ten. And then no wonder our kids have such low self-esteem. And their, their image of themselves is being degraded because they're living in a screen. And they're constantly having an audience who's looking at everything they do. They're not enjoying life because the only way they remember what they did today is because they go back through their pictures and they look at it. Instead of experiencing the things that God wanted them to experience for the day. You go to a race. You go to a game. They're recording it. They're not watching it. The things that, that life was supposed to be, you know, enjoyable has been taken away from my kids. So parents, if you're in here and you have a child who's constantly on their phone, um, kids don't get mad at me, you don't keep me in the knee when you walk out in front of me, take that thing sometime. Let them go outside. Let them play. Um, just spend, you spend time with them. Let them get in the word of God. But your self-worth, it's determined by how many followers you have or who you're following. So today we're going to look at who it is we're following. Preacher Hilton, he contacted me um, this week and he told me that your um, theme for this year is in his steps. It's not out there anymore. So if we're going to be following in Jesus' steps, we need to figure out who Jesus is. And we're going to find out who Jesus is. He is here in the, um, Mark chapter 8, verses... 31. Let me read verse 31 for you. And he began to teach them. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, he would rise again. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read through those next few verses. I know that I didn't tell you that earlier. He spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Listen to this church. This is us right here. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, but he's also talking to you who have pledged your life to him. Whoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his, his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Dear God, we ask that you bless the reading of your word. Thank God you would speak to the hearts and minds of those who are in here today, God. Speak through me, God. Use me. I'm just a vessel. I'm weak in my in my flesh, God, but Lord, you be strong. You be mighty. You, you, you be the mouthpiece. In Jesus' name, amen. So to look at Jesus here. And to look at the New Testament as a whole. We were to metaphorically talk about what the, whole, what the New Testament is. Or a symbol that represents the New Testament. The symbol that represents Christianity. Is a man on a cross. 
Now today we, we, we look at a cross and some of you may wear one around your neck or we have it on a t-shirt. Some of us even tattoo them on our bodies um, or we wear a bracelet that has a cross and, and it does have a significant meaning. But in the Old Testament times or, or in the New Testament times when Jesus was here in the first century, um, the Romans used the cross as a, a torture device, not only to torture you, but to, to kill you. The New Testament talks more about death and us dying. We were dead in our transgressions and death was at work in us. But when Jesus died for us, now we are dead to sin, but alive to God. Listen to this. And we must die daily, though we will never die. And yet we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. So death, instead of mustard seeds and living water, we know we have those things there. But Jesus and the New Testament writers are always depicting death and dying. And in the Christian life as a death, it's not the capital D death. that means the end of our bodily life here on earth. But every day, and I'll get to that a little more about that later, it's a, it's a life lived with the little deeds of death. Um, Death to ourself, death to our pride. Man, that means washing the dishes sometime for your wives and dying to yourself. Anything that goes against what your flesh wants to do and you have to not do it, you're dying to it. So it's less like a tombstone of your life, but it's more like Arlington National Cemetery, all the little deaths that you're going to die in a day and in a year and in a lifetime to Jesus Christ. In order to see who Jesus is, in order to follow Jesus, we've got to understand about his death. Um, and we've got to see death as the the illustrations and, and the metaphors in the New Testament. But if we were to look at it from a historical pr perspective, and you notice, how many of you have read through the New Testament? How many of you read some of the New Testament? How many of you know a guy named Paul? One of my champions, one of my heroes, wrote almost half of the New Testament in letters to different churches. He, he constantly had put himself out there. Most of his life was spent where? in prison after he served Jesus Christ. And when he writes a letter, some of them he's writing from prison, but he's telling us to be joyful, to have peace and those sorts of things. Um, what do we know about Paul in the end of his life? He dies. He's killed for, for the glory and the sake of the cross. What we know about Peter, right? We're going to talk a little bit about Peter here in just a few minutes, but Peter, he was crucified upside down. And by the end of the first season of Christianity, the first year there right after um, circa um, A.D. 100, the only one left is who? John. New Testament, everybody dies. Just being real, youth, everybody dies. And everybody since then, they have died. But it's what we do with our life. It's what we die to in this life that prepares us for the eternity that Jesus has prepared for us. So that's what matters. Not about so much how we die here on earth, but how we die to ourselves and how we die to live. Because every time you die to something, in order to resurrect, something has to die, right? Every time you die to something, Jesus Christ places a little, or the Holy Spirit, he shines through just a little bit brighter because he's resurrecting something good out of something that you killed within your life because it needed to be dead. So we, we're going to move forward. And I'm going to move backwards. <laughs> 22. Jesus heals a blind man. In the verse um, 22. He and his disciples, they stop in this place called Bethsaida. A blind man comes to him. But this miracle is unlike any other miracle that Jesus performs in that it doesn't happen immediately. He isn't totally changed at immediately. Jesus first, he spits on his hand and he touches him and he puts his hand on the, or spits on the man's eyes and he touches him. And the man 
Jesus says, can you see? He said, yeah, I see men, but they look like they're trees. He could see, but it was a little bit blurry what he was seeing. So Jesus has to touch him again to, to bring the healing. It, it was a two-step thing. Um, I know I talked about cell phone, phones earlier, but how many of you take selfies? How many of you take pictures? Most of us? All of us? How many of you, when you don't like what you see, you kind of zo- or you can't really tell what you're looking at, you, you have to like use your thumbs like this, and you zoom in, right? So you can see what you're seeing. My wife and I, Everywhere we go, she has that picture. She's a picture lady. Me, I'm not so much a picture person. I don't really mind. I don't really like taking pictures, but I will take a picture if she asks me to because happy wife, happy life. But um, immediately after the picture's over, she's looking at it, and she zooms in. But guess what she's always looking at? Herself. Because <laughs> if she don't look right in the picture, guess what? We've got to take another picture. And I'm like, you know, just, just, just get it right. So Jesus here, he zooms in a little bit. Through this story to his disciples, as he's talking to them, he's going to touch a man's eyes again. For the first time he touches them, the man isn't completely healed. The disciples, they see Jesus. They know Jesus, but they don't see Jesus for who he really is. They don't see the complete person, the complete, complete matchless son of God. And that was our theme this week, matchless one. They don't see the matchless servant, savior, Jesus Christ fully. And he's using this blind man as a lesson to them. So he's zooming in a little bit more and say, let, let me show you a little bit more. You look at, let's just say the disciples have smartphones. Let's make this 21st century. Imagine the things they would have captured. The healing of a man with leprosy. I mean, they're, they're completely riddled in their body. They're tore up. Jesus puts his hand on them and he's healed. A blind man just now, he couldn't see, but then Jesus touches him a second time. He can see plainly. They were out on the, the sea and the winds and the waves. They became so immense. And I'm sure they would have been capturing pictures of that. I mean, just constantly capturing those things as winds and the waves. And Jesus steps out and he's, he tells it to be still. And in that, I want you to understand, and this is why I say the disciples haven't seen Jesus for who he truly is. Because even after he calms the winds and the, and, and the waves, he says, who is this man that even the winds and the sea obey? They don't see Jesus fully for who he is yet. But Jesus Christ is zooming in on his life. I'm sure they would have shown the healings. I'm sure they would have shown the nature. They would have shown everything that Jesus was doing. But I don't know how many pictures they would have actually taken of Jesus. Much like our life. We want the healings. We want the, we want the saving. We want, the, we want the, um, the protection. But we fail to see the Savior. We fail to see the protector. We fail to see the healer. And, and he's trying to say, I want you to not just focus on what I'm doing. But I want you to focus on me. Who I am. That's what, that's what I want you to... Focus on disciples. And, I, and I'm going to zoom in a little bit. And the picture that I'm going to show you is going to scare you a little bit. And I'm going to get to his picture that Jesus has on his phone. He has one. And he's going to get to that picture in a little bit with those disciples. And he's going to show them what it is. It's going to scare them to death. 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the town of Caesarea Philippi. And by the, by the way, they're on their way to Jerusalem, by the way. They've left. Jesus Christ is on the way to Jerusalem. And we know what happens in Jerusalem. The disciples don't know that yet. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. And some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. Here's ultimately what Jesus is saying. Who who, who do people say that I am? They just saw me feed 5,000 people with five loaves, or 4,000. They saw me feed 5,000 men, not including women and children, with with five loaves of bread and two, two fish. And, you know, everybody got a fish sandwich that day. And we took up 12 baskets, and we were able to take those things away. They said, but, but, but who do they say that I am? And his disciples 
St. John the Baptist, and some say Elias. But ultimately what they're saying is, Jesus, they're not seeing you at all. They're not seeing you at all. Not you. So Jesus gets personal in his next questions, and he says, and I, I'm asking you this morning. I want you to an eye of faith. Imagine Jesus asking you this question. And he said unto them, he said unto um, Reedy Branch this morning, but whom say ye that I am? Men, not what I do, not what you've seen me do. Men, who do you say that I am? I, I know when we get to know somebody, we ask them their occupation, we ask them where they're from, we ask them who's their people around here. But we pretty much never ask somebody, who, who, who do you say that I am? And I'm sure the disciples were caught off guard, but for the first time, y'all, the first time in the Gospel of Mark, Peter answers and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. So he zoomed in a little bit more. They, before, they saw Jesus, but they didn't see Jesus. Now they're seeing Jesus, and they're really seeing Jesus. I think Peter answers on behalf of the whole twelve. I think all the twelve at this moment had this aha moment where it says, Thou art the Christ. We see you for who you are. This is who you are. And this is what we, we need. Um, and this is when it comes to 31. Jesus couldn't tell them this until they seen that he was the Messiah. He had not told them about his death. And in the Gospel of Mark, only God and the demons had recognized Jesus for who he totally was. So Jesus is going to go a little bit further and he's going to tell them um, who he truly is so that they can see. My apologies. They can see truly who he is. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders. The chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So he zooms this picture completely in. He shows them a picture of a man on the cross and that man on the cross is him. He's going to be hanging. Did the disciples want a Messiah that was going to die? Did the disciples want to hang out with somebody and they finally found, figured out that this truly is the Messiah. And right after he tells them that, he's like, well, guess what? I got to suffer and I got to die. So they get the good news <laughs> of the gospel. But then in 34, this is kind of bad news for them. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples, also he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So they know that their Savior is going to die. But the bad news is, if I am aligning myself with this man, if I'm aligning myself with God, and I'm aligning myself with his teaching, y'all, and when he tells them to take up the cross, like I said, they don't see the cross like we do around a gold chain. They see the cross as one of the scariest things in, in, in all of creation. And they know that if Jesus Christ is going to have to go on a cross, he's going to have to deny himself, then as his followers... We've got to, too. They're horrified, terrified. What could they do? They could have ran away. They could have got away from this man, Jesus. They could have disassociated themselves with them. They could have severed the relationship and said, Jesus, I love you. I believe you're the Messiah, but I'm not following you to a cross because I'm not that committed. But we don't see any of them turn back at this time. For some reason, they just stayed by. Um, following Jesus means bearing a cross. Following Jesus means sacrificing. Following Jesus means 
giving up on some dreams and ambitions that we have in order to fulfill the purpose and the calling that he has for our eyes. Following Jesus and bearing a cross means dying to ourselves daily. What does that mean? It means dying to anything that this flesh wants to do this against the word of God. Following Jesus and bearing a cross means that we're going to suffer the same way that our Savior did. It means that the cross is going to get heavy sometimes. I promise you this morning about 5.30 I got up. I don't speak in churches often other than the church that I attend. I know the congregation, and I know, I know the people, and I know what I can say and what I can't. Y'all have known about this for about a month, and I've been nervous for about a month. Um, about 5.30 this morning, that cross got a lot heavy. <laughs> I'm crying out to Jesus. Jesus, I've got to, a few hours, I've got to deliver a message to a congregation who's going to be waiting to hear from you. And God, I'm the weak vessel that you have chosen to do. So I just want to lay this cross down, call Preacher Hilton, and say, Preacher Hilton, I'm not going to make it. But Jesus Christ, when he picked up his cross, when Jesus Christ put that cross on his back, you know whose cross he was carrying? He asked me this morning, Jonathan, did you drop this? <laughs> I'll pick it up. <laughs> And I'll bear it with you, and we're going to go all the way. Because I took mine, and I took ours all the way to Calvary. I knew what was said before me. Hebrews 12 and truth says we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Before the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I thank God that that's my Jesus, that he took my cross, he took your cross, and he took it all the way. Young people. Bearing your cross sometimes is going to get hard. Adults, bearing your cross sometimes is going to get hard. Some of you have gone through some deep valleys. Some of you wanted to just get a dolly and get, give up your cross and maybe take someone else's because it looks like they're having a lot easier time than you are. Jesus knows what you can handle. Jesus gives you brand new mercies every morning. Jesus walks with you every day, and he gives you enough mercies to get you through this day. Don't worry about tomorrow because he said, I am already in tomorrow, and I have brand new mercies in tomorrow, and I will be in tomorrow. So when that cross get heavy in tomorrow, I'll help you carry it again. Right. Look back on your past victories. How many times have I been with you? How many times have I carried that cross and bore that cross and bore that shame and bore that pain for you? It may look a little bit like this, youth. You get a phone call. I seen this done. Centrifuge. It's Friday night. Youth Leaders has an awesome program set up for you. You're going to have a lock-in at the church. They're going to just spend all night with you in the church, um, praising God, playing games. And, and you're all set. You've signed your name up. They've got you on the pizza list, so they know they've got to have your three to four to five slices ready when you get there. But Friday at school or Friday right after school, you get this call. Yeah, this is John. Oh, hey. Hey, champ. Uh, yeah, I, got, I, I had plans tonight. Um, we're having youth group. Remember, I invited you to it, and you told me you wouldn't be able to make it. Man, I told you that. No, I, I, I can't do the party scene. I, I serve Jesus Christ, and, and what goes on in these things, I, I can't be a part of. 
and I, I won't be able to make it. I'll let my youth group down. They're asking me to do a devotion there tonight, and I want to be there for the younger kids because I want them to show them, you know, be a good example for them. Say, what? So she's going to be there. Oh. Huh. And, and, and what time does the party start? 8.30. What time does the party end? And I, I just can't. But she's going to be there. And she told you she wants to see me. She told you to bring me. Uh, let, 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 let me get back with you. Let me get back with you. I, I'll call you later on. Sometimes it means making a choice. Sometimes that choice isn't the popular choice. Sometimes that choice isn't the choice that your flesh wants and desires. But when you started serving Jesus Christ, he bore your cross. And he gave you a cross to carry. He gave you a purpose, and he's always asking you to be as faithful over the purpose that he has for you. No matter what the temptations is, you have to die to those things daily. And how do we die to them? We crucify them to our cross, and we die to ourselves. That's how we die to them, because Jesus Christ is way more important than any party is ever going to be. I'll tell you what, when I was 19, I decided I'm tired of being a good boy. This is a little bit of my testimony here, and I'm coming to a close. I'm tired of being a good boy. I was saved at five years old, and I know I was saved. You may say children can't be saved that early, but I knew the change that came a place in my heart. You may say, but you didn't understand it. I didn't understand it either at 19, 20 years old, how, how a Savior so good who lived a perfect life could die for somebody like me and die for my sins. And all I had to do was accept him, and I could have eternal life as well as abundant life. Yes, I signed me up for that, and I felt the, the, the beckoning of the Holy Spirit coming in my heart, and, and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. But at 19 years old, I went through some, some deep, dark valleys, and I walked away from Christ for just a little while. I, I turned my back, and, and I denied Christ a few times by, by doing the things that I did. And every time I would do it, I would have a conviction. I would get home, and I would just cry out, and I would be like, man, I'm miserable. Why did I just do that? But then I would do it again the next week because the friends I had were doing the things, and I don't want to be left alone. I didn't have anyone else. These were friends that I had grown up with. Jesus Christ started dealing with my heart. Young people, sometimes carrying your cross means getting new friends. Old people, older people, sometimes carrying God's cross means getting new friends. Sometimes it means you may be alone and you may feel lonely. But I promise you, you're never alone because Jesus Christ is always going to be there. He's always going to be with you. Taking up your cross is a physical change. But you can't. You lose your life for Jesus Christ. You lose your life physically. You lose your life spiritually. You give it all to him. You, you give him everything. But guess what? You can't lose your soul. To lose one's soul. As we see here, it says, but what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? To lose one's soul, you not only lose your life physically, but you lose your life eternity Jesus has to be the most important thing to your existence when Jesus is the most important thing to your whole entire existence 
and that secures your eternal being. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, that secures your eternal being. But when your existence or someone else's existence is more important than Jesus, you lose both Jesus and your existence. This morning, I want you to bow your heads if you don't mind, and the pianist can come up to play. I know it wasn't a three-step plan to how to overcome temptation, but it was a plan that if you follow in Jesus' steps and you're, you're videoing or you're, you're choreographing everything that he, he follows and you're looking at the word of God and you're walking down the road of God with him, it's a plan that tells you that you must deny yourself. It's a plan that says you must take up your own cross. You have to follow him, follow his desires, follow his will, not your own. Some of you in here this morning are struggling with some things that you haven't surrendered fully. Some of you aren't giving God your best. Some of you are laying down your cross way too often. And you know within you, within yourself, what it is that is bringing about maybe that separation from that joy that you once had in Jesus Christ. What it is that you need to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus Christ and all that he is. Some of you have never accepted Jesus Christ, but let me tell you about his cross. If you're a sinner, listen to me. The gospel message is this. Jesus Christ came and didn't have to. But God loved us so much that he sent him and Jesus Christ agreed to come. And he put on a, a robe of human flesh. Jesus Christ, when he came here, knew he was going to have to take that cross. He knew that the cross was going to be placed in his path. And that was the path he had to follow. And that was going to be the end of him here on earth. He knew the pain. He knew the rejection. He wasn't rejected by people who never liked him. He was rejected by people who were his own friends, his own family. He was placed on that cross and they drove nails into his arms after beating him all night and placing a crown of thorn upon his head. Placed nails in his arms or his hands and in his feet. Most of the time when we see a cross, we see Jesus with his feet crossed just like this. Nails driven in between them, but many old crosses have been recovered and nails and heel bones from crucifixion victims. And the place the nails actually went into was on the side right through here. And it was drilled into the side, or it was nailed into the sides of the cross. And the only way that the person on the cross could get air, because the cross was a death of suffocation, it wasn't just the sheer amount of pain they were in, but it was the, they couldn't breathe any longer because gravity pulled them down, but the cross held them up. But it was God, Jesus' love that held him on the cross for you and I, that he suffered. Because we deserved that. That was our cross he died on. He didn't have to die on that cross. That was our cross that he bore. Each and every one of us, the all-powerful God Almighty, came so that you could have life. And he died there. Some people say maybe he was just in a deep sleep. Maybe he went into a coma when they placed him in. No, he died. Fully dead, placed in a tomb. Now, death is coming to all of us. If you look at a food chain, humans, bears, predators, we're all at the top of the food chain. But what's on top of us is death because death swallows us. It, it, it can't be defeated. Or could it? Yes, it can because Jesus Christ, when he came, he, he lived in his died and he died for us. Death couldn't hold him because he, 
died a wrongful death. He didn't deserve death because he had lived a perfect life. So what swallowed up death was life, and that's what we have now is abundant life, and that's what we can have in Jesus Christ is life, but you have to give your life to him so that his life can reign in you. The one here who would say, I'm a sinner, by the raising of your hand, admit that you're a sinner, on account of hands everyone here is a Christian this morning all the more reason for us to praise God and to celebrate him for who he is and what he's done so this week throughout the rest of this week throughout the rest of this day bear your cross die to your selfly ambitions die to your selfly plans seek God's will above all else Take up your cross and follow him. He has a work for each and every one of you to do, and he's placed each and every one of us in different places for different reasons. Be faithful over the purpose that he has given you.